Guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Karamantang. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. We are live in full effect. Facebook, TikTok, quickly say thanks for joining, folks. I thought I'd uh, jump on real quick to uh, do a Q&A, talk about what we're seeing in this most recent wave, talk about lessons from COVID, which I think uh, we need to reflect on. There's been a lot of optimism, which I think is well warranted, absolutely well warranted, because, you know, it's been a long, this has been a long pandemic, but um yeah, but at the same time, there's been a lot of a lot of negative press, a lot of media saying why we shouldn't be optimistic. So I just want to throw down my two cents. So those that are watching on Facebook right now, if you put in NL into your chat box, you'll get our newsletter. You'll get our podcast sent to you directly. This is going to end up being a podcast, I think. Go ahead, press NL into your chat box. Oh, man, I'll get into that Fisman study, by the way for real. Okay. First of all, yeah, thanks people for joining. Just wanted to uh, give us, uh, once again, put my two cents of what's going down in the pandemic. What we Lessons that we have learned or should have learned anyway throughout this pandemic. First things first, I must say that one of the reasons what we want to reflect back on the pandemic is how are we going to handle things in the future? COVID's not going anywhere. There'll be future pandemics. And we need to have a framework that is not based on restrictions, not what's not based on closing schools, what's not based on shutting down the economy, what's not based on trying to make our cancer risk and obesity and, and, and mental health become more and more of a, of a concern. So I think they're having that conversation throughout this pandemic or throughout like now, 
in terms of the path forward is so important. You know what I'm saying? I, and, you know, it was, uh, I saw Fauci the other, yesterday saying that, you know, we're out of this pandemic, you know, and I think this is even hard for people to, to, to accept, to, to look back and say, are we out of the pandemic because of how conditioned we've been over the last two years? And, and so when I look at the positives from the pandemic, there's, believe it or not, there's been some really good things that have come through. I, I can't believe how nimble the medical field have been th- throughout this thing. And by nimble, I mean when we had new therapeutic options, when we had new therapies available. Say, for example, one of the things we, 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 we were taught in the early stages of the pandemic is, is uh, delay intubation. Oh, no intubate patients as early as possible. And we start to see some negative outcomes. So we pivoted away from that and, and delayed intubations, which I think benefited the patients. We realized we saw patients were clotting and developing uh, clots fairly rapidly. So we started to implement anticoagulation. We, we start to see that there was some, there was a benefit from certain medications, mostly like uh, Decadron, for example, or Dexamethasone. We saw uh, amazing benefits uh, happening uh, in terms of reduced uh, death and and ICU admissions as a result. And we pivoted quickly, which was something I was super proud of because in medicine, I must say, we're typically dinosaurs. We we don't we don't move quick. And so to see that come through um, in the pandemic, I think was so, it was inspirational. It was fantastic. The other positive thing that was highlighting the amazing work a lot of us healthcare providers were do on a regular. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 uh, uh, the long hours, the dedications, the, you know, trying to be, great communicators, especially in a time of need, especially when during that first wave where we weren't allowing families to come in, you know, I I really think I I saw our our healthcare providers truly step up and do their part and try and be there for their patients, be there for for families in this crazy amount of time and and, and during these crazy times. So there's been some positive things. I like even I look back and I look back at that first wave when I was terrified. You know what I'm saying? Like I was, I was, I mean, a lot of us were terrified. What is, what's the future look like? Are we going to get COVID? Are we going to be passing on to our families? Are we going to be overwhelmed? And soon, you know, we realized that, you know, we were, we weren't going to be Italy. We weren't going to be New York. We weren't all healthcare providers weren't dying in droves. And we were able to have almost like a sense of camaraderie because we had a clear, a clear goal. And it was to get our patients through the, through the pandemic, get their patients through this crazy time. It really was a special thing going into work and, and being part of that team. And uh, I must say that that's a feeling that hasn't left us. And, and, and yes, there's been some tons of burnout, tons of fatigue, but um, you know, overall we have moved in the right direction in a positive direction, but I must say there are tons of negative lessons that we, we can't ignore. 
I mean, one thing that I, I can't believe how much we didn't appreciate was COVID truly discriminates. And, but what I mean by discriminates is the risk of die, of getting COVID or dying of COVID, being hospitalized from COVID, landing in ICU from COVID is not equal. Number one, we saw age as a clear, clear driver of, of negative outcomes. We saw what was going on in our nursing home, our, our comorbid elderly patients. We saw how metabolic syndrome was huge driver of, of, of patients getting sick. But metabolic syndrome, I mean, obesity, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, massive drivers. And, I, and at one point, I felt like it was controversial to say this, but in during my personal, like, uh, two, two plus years of taking care of COVID patients, I've yet to take care of a ventilated patient that was completely healthy. You know, like even the, the patients that we saw that were uh, younger, almost exclusively had obesity, type two diabetes. Some of our younger patients were over 300 pounds. And this was kind of a thing that was lost in the, in the media. And so it was, it was hard to see that message not being portrayed to people because number one, if you know the patients that are at highest risk, let's tailor treatments to them. You know, like protect the nursing homes like crazy. You know what I'm saying? Make sure, like, make sure that they have uh, the resources, the staffing, everything they need during the, during the peaks of uh, these waves. When it came to vaccinations, we knew that there were specific populations of high risk, so immunocompromised elderly patients, but also racialized communities. Massive, because you know what? They were essential workers. They were the, our essential workers that were, that, were, uh, that were being our Uber drivers, our, running our factories, running the Amazon factories, uh, being the PSWs that uh, were, were at the nursing homes, living in multi-generational homes. And it was quite clear, like for them to stay home was not an option. And so when it came to, you know, paid leave, when it paid to uh, communicating risk in, in these communities, when it came to vaccine rollouts, what an opportunity, you know what I'm saying, to, to really bring therapy and, and interventions to those communities that were of high risk. And this was, a late, this was to me such a clear approach that we needed to make. But for some reason, it wasn't about the data. It wasn't about, you know, who's at high risk. It was, it was these attempts to, like, the loudest voices seem to get what they need. The, the more affluent communities were getting what they need. Like, I'll never forget this. When I was, um, I was golfing with some, uh, like, a friend, and he brought his uh, colleagues with him, and they were talking about, like, waiting for their second shot and, you know, they're, they're saying stuff like, oh, those guys in the GTA, like we should get the vaccine ahead of them. Like they kept, they, they weren't, they weren't staying home. They weren't listening to public health. So why do they deserve to get the, the vaccine ahead of me? And I'm like, are you crazy? That, that dude that you're, you're complaining about is a dude that is uh, like literally making sure you get your basic needs. So literally the one that's that bringing your Uber eats to your crib, 
the taxi driver, the one that's working in the factory, your Amazon factory, making sure that you get your, you know, tidy whities. You're going to tell me that you, you, you necessarily deserve to get that vaccine ahead of them. Other things like when it came to the booster, yo, like when you saw, like when we opened it up in Ontario, it's like, hey, anyone 18 and above can get a booster. And I, I remember running into a guy that was in his 70s saying that, he, you know, he had to wait. He's signed up for a booster, but he's got to wait an extra three weeks where that 18 year old who's more crafty got his booster before him. And so the person that needed the most 75 year old pre-diabetic is waiting for that booster. Like this is a little stuff that I think we could really learn from and say to ourselves, what are we going to do to, to really um, provide interventions for those that need it the most? Because if we look at our primary goal, if it's to protect the hospitals, like this is what we needed to do. This is, what we, this is what we needed to do, is focus on those that are most likely to land in hospital. You know, it, it came down to, uh, you know, one of, one of the other things that we saw is how political this, all this COVID response became. It, it, it was, we really created this like dichotomous, um, like this dichotomous or tribalistic approach. It was like either you're pro-mask or you're anti-mask, either you're uh, pro-vaccine or you're anti-vaccine. And there was no nuance. Um, it was, there was no, you know, like, I, like I'll even say a personal, like from a personal perspective, when people, so I was one of the first in our hospital group to say we should be masking everywhere. We're seeing you know, in that first wave, there was some stories coming out of, I forget what's, what nation saying, like, you know, there really wasn't any hospital spread when everybody was masking. And I was like, hey, we can't ignore this. Let's mask up. You know what I'm saying? And then as, but as the data came out in terms of cloth masks, as the data came out that, you know, the, the impact of, uh, uh, with the, with the impact of Omicron and, and the fact that we've had milder disease and we're so well vaccinated, are we at the state that we need to vaccinate or to keep a vaccine mandate? And that's a controversial thing to say. Do we need to mask two-year-olds? That's a controversial thing to say. You know, like that's, like we have to have that ability to have open dialogue about these issues. We really needed it. To, like, I, I, I promise you, we would be better off if we were open to, to communicate uh, regarding some of these issues. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this is one of the things that I hope we, we look back at and say, you know, let's not have that con- cancel culture. Let's have that ability to, to have open dialogue so we could reduce the, or reduce the harm and maximize the benefit. You know what I'm saying? Um, the uh, the last few things I want to mention that um, I, I really think we look back on is like I hope we never even entertain the, the idea of locking down again. Like, I mean, look what's happening in China right now. Look at the impact that the negative impacts that I had with our North American society. We're talking school closures. We're talking uh, with those school closures, 
increase increased risk of uh, child abuse, mental illness, physical uh, ailments, or pre-diabetic children. Um, the their social development, their ability to their ability to like socialize and connect with other kids in their prime time years. And they're the lowest risk. They're the lowest risk. Like when we looked at the risk for kids from COVID, you know, driving your kid to Toronto from Ottawa poses a higher risk of them dying from COVID. You know what I'm saying? And we wouldn't even hesitate to, to do that. Like it really became painful to watch what we, what we did to our children. And I think, unfortunately, we're going to pay the price. Uh, the kids are going to pay the price. Like these impacts can be generational and their education. No, like has, what's the, nobody's validated the impact of, of a virtual school. Like now we're starting to see the negative scores and the negative, uh, uh, you know, the learning uh, from, uh, from having the uh, virtual classes and some kids might benefit. I won't deny that. But overall, our kids are further, they're steps behind. I've seen it with my kids. I've seen it with the kids around us. And we can't be accepting this and saying that's okay. We can't be accepting the fact that kids were at home with their abusers and that that's okay. We can't accept the fact that some families were having to choose between feeding their kid or trying to um, teach their kid. Like, that's, that's what that shit got real for a lot of folks. You're on the margins. You got to choose between going to work and, and educating your kids. Like, how, how are we asking that of people? And we do this was happening in, like, in Ontario. We thought it was okay. We, left, we let it go. We let it go for the, one of the long, longest school closures in, 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 the, in North America. Unacceptable. We can never do this again. You know what I mean? Not to not to say what the impact has been on our, uh, you know, when it came to cancer screening, like the amount of late cancer diagnosis is now. Um, when it came to uh, elective surgeries, when it came to uh, the the surgical backlog now, like that's not benign shit. Like that's real. That's li- people's lives. And people think the economy, like who cares the economy, like who cares about money? Why do you bring that up? Because socioeconomics is is life. It's 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 health. If you can't afford food, you you ain't doing shit. If you can't uh, afford an education, you're now uh, you're you're further behind. Like you're not getting as far as you can get. And we think this, and we find that to be acceptable. I I I just I can't. Explain how 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 willing we were to damage our youth. Like I just I can't believe it. Even now, when you're a university student and you can't put a foot on campus unless you're triple triple vax in some colleges and university, that's insane. I'm sorry. Like uh, the lowest risk group being triple vax in an Omicron era, it doesn't make sense. Like, tell me how it makes sense. What, I must say, overall, uh, Omicron did change everything. 
Omicron changed the game in so many ways. And we were blessed to have the uh, uh, the milder variant. And yes, it was more contagious, but in a state where we were so well vaccinated. And, and the, the other thing it did is that it exposed um, folks to COVID. They, they saw people get COVID. It wasn't a mystery anymore. Families were getting it. The friends were getting it and all this stuff was happening. So they realized like, you know, it's not necessarily, obviously it's serious, but it's not necessarily everyone's dying that gets COVID. It's not everything. It's not where you're necessarily being seen through mainstream media or Twitter. Don't get me going on Twitter, by the way. That's some mad ass, ridiculous, psychopath, crazy folks that <laughs> Twitter is, is medieval right now. I try to stay off that shit, right? Like just to keep it real. Um, where am I going with that? Well, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, is Omicron, you know, it, it, it really did change the game, but, and, and like not only from, uh, the exposure to, to people about, uh, you know, to, to COVID, but, um, creating that hybrid immunity. This is one of the things that I, I will say, like, you know, in terms of what the future looks like, I'm, much more optimistic because we are well vaccinated and we have that level of hybrid immunity because of this Omicron wave. Like I see numbers like 75% of the population potentially have already been, uh, had, a, uh, had a COVID infection at this point. I, the community immunity between vaccines and infections has got to be high at this stage. And so when we go into a future wave, because there will be other waves, there will be a wave seven, my humble opinion is it's not going to impact hospitalizations in the same way that previous waves have. And, uh, and just to give you a, a reflection on what we're seeing today. So today is April 28th when I'm doing this in my, in Ottawa, we have very few COVID patients in ICU and the, the ones that we have in ICU are predominantly uh, incidental COVIDs being like, meaning that they, came in for another reason, but when you swap them, they, they were COVID positive. And so, you know, it's been a different beast. Has there people been sick with COVID? Absolutely. But the characteristics of those folks right now is they're either unvaccinated or immunocompromised, meaning they're, they're like on high levels of immunosuppressants or medications to suppress their immune system because they're a solid or organ don't, uh, uh, they received a solid organ like a renal transplant or something along those lines. You know, this wave, it really has been a different wave. And it's been, that's why I feel like we can have some optimism. And and maybe my, my last message is that, um, is we needed to provide people with hope. I, I could not believe how much negative messaging, how the communication was like fear, 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 fear. It wasn't based on data. It was based on what's going to scare the public and get them to listen as opposed to being, you know what, folks? Like, I just wanted my leaders to just step on a mic and just say, you know what, folks, right now, Third wave. This is uh, this is a tough time. Hospitals being stretched, but you know what? We are going to get through this. We're going to go get through this by 
vaccinations. We're going to get through this by um, putting resources in places that need the most, uh, the interventions most. Uh, we are in a tough time, but we will get through. We, this is, this is why our healthcare providers are doing what they're doing. We're going to provide them with the supports that they need. But as a society, we're going to get through it. We're going to get to a state where we'll get back to normal life. This is what we expect. Um, this is the metrics we're looking for before we get there. But this is the expectation. This is where we want to go. Giving people hope. Because look, at I mean, the amount of mental illness right now. Like my wife is a psychologist. You see it with the level of burnout. Like we need to give people hope. We need to get that needed to be part of the messaging. That needs to be part of the communication. I hope we learn in the future that this is part of the equation. The last couple of things I must say, and the other reasons for hope, um, you know, milder illnesses, hopefully with future variants, but we now have therapeutics, yo. We now have Paxlovid. We now have monoclonal antibody treatments. Fluvoxamine, for some reason, has lost favor, but the studies are showing that to be effective at reducing hospitalizations. So, like, there is reasons for optimism. And I want that to be a, a message moving forward. So this is all I wanted to say about lessons from COVID. I, I, like, once again, keep that hope. Keep that. Uh, we're going to keep on our show. What I want to do is talk a lot of, more about recovery. How are we going to get out of this with some energy and, and catch us up because we are definitely, you know, when it comes to education, when it comes to our physical health, when it comes to, uh, you know, the elective surgeries, ensuring that the cancer stream screening is, is, is caught up. Like we, we need to be recovering. And I, I think this is an important part of, of, of solving healthcare is how do we do that? And so this is part of the dialogue that we want to have. And so uh, once again, those are we're on Facebook, just type in NL, we'll, you'll get this, uh, you'll get our content, you know. Also, we got our Facebook page on uh, Solving Wellness. Please check that out, facebook.com backslash groups, backslash Solving Wellness, where we uh, trying to reduce burnout amongst healthcare providers, doing some pretty exciting stuff. Thanks for listening.